Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, strength coach at Strengthfield. Hey, it's Dr. Mike Nelson. I'm a faculty member at the Kerrigan Institute, do a bunch of other stuff, and I'm down here in Florida, actually, just going through the Kerrigan Institute Human Performance Program right now. And this is uh, Rick Alexander. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm an author, speaker, and uh, adventure athlete of sorts. Cool. Awesome. And today's topic we're going to be is called Comfort Doesn't Equal Happiness. And for people who may not be familiar with you, Rick, can you give us kind of your, your background and origin story? Yeah, sure. So um, I think I was I was probably like a lot of people that sort of were trying to figure it out in high school. I mean, there's a lot of paths that you know, a lot of different paths that you could possibly take when you're, when you're growing up trying to figure it out. And I happened to be lucky enough that the first thing that I got addicted to were sports. Um, and so I look back at a lot of people that took different path in life, you know, especially as it, all the temptations you have in high school. And I think like really, it just, it really was luck. My parents got me in sports at such an early age and it took up such a big part of my identity that there wasn't necessarily a lot left as I kind of, as I grew up. Uh, and then went to college again, was like kind of still looking for direction. And then uh, I found the military. I found a special special forces program and decided to try my hand at that. And then turns out that physical prowess does have somewhere to go when you're when you're an adult in the military. So kind of uh, I took that path for a while. And then through that path, I started my I started businesses and I started competing in strength sports. I started competing in endurance sports, just a lot of like trying to figure it out over the last 10 years. And I'm sure we'll get to um, why I chose the topic I chose. But essentially, as I look back at my entire career, it was like the one, the one constant when it came to success in high school, success in the military, success um, in the entrepreneurship world. It was like, kept having these moments where I would look around and I was like, everybody, everybody around me, so many people around me, uh, they mistake this idea of being comfortable with being happy. And I and what I was starting to find through, especially through the military, is that they weren't necessarily always related like everybody thought they were. Um, and so it's a perfect topic for my origin story because that's that's definitely, you know, the way that I came about as I grew up. Very cool. <clears throat> Can you give some examples of what kind of uh, strength sports and some of the other sports you've done? Because I know you've done just a, a wide variety of all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I played college and high school, and I played for a for or I played uh, lacrosse in high school, and I played for a year in college, and then uh, moving on, I again joined the military, and then kind of got into the endurance scene in the military, just because when you're going through a special forces selection, that's really what they're looking for. You know, a lot of people think that they need to get a big bench press, but you realize your you know 500 pound deadlift does very little for you on a soft sand run on the beach. Uh, so I got into endurance sports through that. And then as I got to the team, uh, started deploying, doing different things like that. And then I 
got into strongman, got into powerlifting, uh, got, got into CrossFit for a while. Felt like I was just punishing myself all the time with CrossFit and uh, <laughs> wasn't as much enjoyment as the strength sports. At least that's what I found. Uh, and then I kind of got, I signed up for a hundred mile endurance race. So I, I did that and I kind of got hooked, um, which we could get into if you guys want. But, but yeah, so lately my sport of choice has definitely been the ultra endurance stuff. I just finished last week. I did a 247 mile run while wearing body armor, uh, Ooh. to raise, yeah, to raise money for, um, gold star families, which are families who have lost somebody, uh, in the war. Wow. How do you get to go from, you know, very on the end of strength sports, you know, strongman, things of like that to doing, you know, 200 plus mile race while wearing heavy stuff? <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? And I can feel myself swinging back right now. And I think it's uh, at some point when you sense inability in yourself, like anybody that's an athlete, I think can probably relate to this at some point when you you know, I'd get really heavy into the strength sports, especially when I was competing in strongman and, and dabbling in that area. And then I would realize, like, I would get winded when I ran up the stairs or needed to tie my shoes. And then that would bug me, and I would feel like I needed to get uncomfortable in a different area. And so then uh, I would find myself pursuing something else that would get me, um, you know, sort of way outside of my comfort zone. And then through the last couple of years of doing the ultra endurance stuff, I've even started to notice like, oh man, it's like going into the gym, it's bugging me how far below my one rep maxes I've been. And so it's like, I can feel that I'm starting to like wanting to pick that scab now because I'm like, oh God, this is, this is how you never become great at stuff. You just swing back and forth. Um, but, but I just, I, I just really love the process of, uh, of doing something that, that feels very foreign, I guess. And, and just learning new things as well. Yeah. <laughs> What are some of the lessons that you've learned uh, from that that kind of carry over across, you know, because most people listening in are obviously more on the, the strength side, but I think there's a lot of lessons that are similar across sports. I mean, we kind of look at them, we're like, oh, those crazy nut jobs doing 100-mile races, and you kind of think that there's not anything in common, but I'm guessing from your experience, there's probably quite a bit more in common. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's like the number one thing I've taken away from all of these different experiences is like there's so many lessons that you could learn from athletes that are not necessarily in your camp. Uh, and it kind of bum it, it bums me out a little bit because we tend to like live in silos. And so if we are if we're powerlifters, we tend to only listen to the powerlifting crowd uh, when it turns out, in my opinion, that there's a lot of things you could probably gain from other coaches if we're talking about powerlifting specifically, when it, when it talks to a, talk about aerobic capacity, I've learned like, you know, that was something I was always like, you know, five reps or more is my cardio. That was, I was definitely that guy for a while. Um, but then I realized if you build your aerobic capacity, you can actually, you can increase intensity as you go further into your sets and reps. And so why would you not want at least that ability? And it's not that I'm not saying everybody in that crowd is that way, but same thing on the running crowd. It was like I was. I looked at something like creatine, strength, endurance, recovery, all these benefits. You know, one of the most studied supplement we have, and it's like you bring creatine to runners, and they avoid it like the plague. And it's like there's a lot you could get from this. Um, and so I think just learning those crossover lessons has been really beneficial. And so I think I would encourage anybody that I would say isn't just really focused on one thing. Like if you are trying to figure it out, there's a lot of lessons you can learn from dabbling in sports that are outside of your own even if it's in the off season or even if it's 
attending a seminar and just listening to what somebody else might have to say. You know, Rick, um, if I can interject. So I'm curious about something. I mean, I hear what you're saying about not living in an echo chamber and that kind of thing for sure. Uh, but uh, I remember uh, Fortress, who uh, started the show with us, uh, when he did a lot of you know aerobic-based types of training, he felt like he was swinging even further from one side of the spectrum to the other because he was that guy, you know, that five-rep guy. Um, as you've done this, do you think that your transitioning has actually been a longer journey than had you just started from as a sedentary dude? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Completely. Okay. So if somebody's sedentary, you know, they're like 50-50 fast yeah. and slow-twitch fibers. You know, they have uh, a minimal... Uh, strength, minimal aerobic base, minimal everything. And if you ask them to do an aerobic work, you know, endurance work, um, Rob was suggesting that they actually had an easier time because they weren't starting at 300 pounds of body weight, right? They weren't specialized. Um, and it sounds like you were pretty specialized on the strength. So I'm curious about as you moved toward the endurance end of the spectrum, did that feel like a longer journey than had you just started, you know, with endurance? Yeah, I actually, I would agree completely with him. And I'm sure you guys can speak to the adaptation of different muscle fibers as you become very specialized. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of research coming out that says you can really uh, convert a lot of what you have to what you're doing at the time. And so I would agree with you completely. Like, from, It took me a really, really long time to, um, even because I spent so much time gaining weight, so like it seemed like homeostasis for my body was so much heavier uh, that even you know, amidst all of the running and all of the higher rep stuff I started doing, my body just did not want to adapt to that lower stuff. And even now I'm two years into the endurance stuff, but I spent the rest of my life kind of, you know, like most kids just wanting to get bigger and stronger. And so now like when I look at it, <clears throat> I'm, I'm like much smaller, but I'm still way bigger than every endurance athlete at the starting line, <laughs> you know? And as, as soon as I stop my, you know, as soon as I uh, start lifting, my body will just, it springs right back to where it was. So, you know, I would definitely agree. I think it takes a lot longer because you've spent so much time telling your body to go in this one direction. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, so we'll take a slight break and then we'll get into the topic of the day here and expand a little bit more on that and some of the training stuff and also talk a little bit about why comfort doesn't equal happiness. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety 
the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. So we're back on Iron Radio here. It's uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, Coach Phil Stevens, and Rick Alexander is our guest here today talking about why comfort doesn't equal happiness. And right before the break, we were talking about some of the different training adaptations. And do you think that kind of the topic we're discussing, part of that is because you were kind of a heavier runner? I always think it's interesting, right? I did a novice strongman thing several years ago, just you know, very much a local event. And to keep it simple, they only had lightweight and heavyweight. So if you're under 220, you were a lightweight. If you're over 220, you were a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And for like kiteboarding and stuff, like I weigh you know, like 230, it's like, wow, that's a big dude. But for strongman, it's like, oh, that's a tiny guy. <laughs> yeah. I think it also, you find that by being probably a little bit bigger, that endurance was a little bit harder, especially being compared to other people you were racing against. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. I think there were some advantages or are some advantages, I think, because you know, posterior chain is so developed when you get deep into races, there's a lot that, um, there's a lot you can gain just because I think people tend to burn out and it really does turn into more muscular endurance in much less, I would say like cardiovascular endurance when you get deep into these races, cause you can only move so fast for 200 miles. Um, and so, yeah, there, there are definitely some advantages, but by and large, uh, it's an uphill battle for sure. I was, so when I did, um, and I, again, just stressing, I was doing very novice strongman as well, but uh, 230, I believe it was 232 was lightweight. And so I was sticking around 230 pounds. So the first 100 miler I ran, I actually weighed 225, oh, um, geez. which is way bigger than everything. Yeah. 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 And talking about uh, comfort doesn't equal happiness, do you do specific things to kind of make yourself uncomfortable like what springs to my mind especially for you know lifters is uh different breathing techniques are real popular now uh, cold water immersion 
there seems to be kind of more of a a trend again back and maybe it's because we live in just such you know air conditioned everything is all kind of the the same homeostatic thing all the time of purposely injecting some types of physiologic variability and extremes into our life and then are there any examples maybe for listeners that you'd recommend a starting point yeah i mean i think cold water immersion is uh which you which you mentioned i think that is undoubtedly one of the best because um i mean if you take an if you take an evolutionary biology perspective like when you're looking at you know the development of of the human being which is tends to be how i look at everything it's like athletes do i think athletes get it to a certain degree it's like because it, it doesn't make sense to go torture yourself in, in any other way yeah. right like from a you know, from a reasonable perspective, why are people out in the mud running around? Why did CrossFit blow up in the last 20 years? Strength sports has blown up. I think um, the only like logical explanation is because there's some part of our our fabric that was like sort of born and bred of the wild. And now we need that to feel to still feel whole. And so um, I think athletes like inherently get that. The problem with being an athlete is you can get really uncomfortable or you can get really comfortable with uncomfortable situations. Right. Because you sort of level up. And you, you know, your new, new normal sort of resets. And so then you're looking for, I think you always have to be looking for that new frontier to sort of push into if you want to continue to gain those benefits, which, I mean, that's how we grow as humans anyway. So um, back to your original point, I think if you dunk your entire body in ice water, you will get very uncomfortable really fast. <laughs> um, and, then, and then that's cool too, because then you can really like worry about trying to control that physiological state with your breathing and with different techniques. Um, and so you can get pretty comfortable even with that discomfort. I mean, I hit the ice bath almost every day. So Very cool. Do you do stuff with your lifters, Phil, to make them kind of uncomfortable at times? I mean, obviously you're going to do some simulation practice and maybe more like you know testing days perhaps but do you do you think of that more just from a physiologic response or do you are you trying to make them uncomfortable on purpose at particular times yeah most of my choices as far as uncomfortable will be making them do things they suck at so (laughs) if if somebody's really bad at something it means we're going to do it more and they usually don't like that but uh then they end up getting okay at it which helps them in the long run so yeah. And like my powerlifters and things, once once what we call like on season is over, so peaking for a meet, then usually it's okay, time to get some conditioning on and things like that. And it sucks for a little bit, but it helps them out in the long run. So. Yeah. Do you think, Lonnie, there's an argument for like even hormetic responses? Like there's some new stuff on like maybe ginger and turmeric and things like that where you're purposely ingesting compounds that your body, quote unquote, kind of doesn't like, but then you get better because of that yeah i mean if there's i think if there's one thing that both nutrition and exercise physiology tell us right is that the human body is it's the adaptability right i mean think about all these other fields medicine and physical therapy and other things strength conditioning they all bank on this this idea that if you're exposed whether it's a mild immunological stress resistance training you know cardiovascular kinds of stressors hormonal things that yeah, there's going to be some homeostatic response, you know, some attempt to maintain balance. So you're going to grow in that direction. I mean, if that's what you mean, right? So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the whole field is sort of based on that concept, and, and it may be something, maybe to the point of the, the conversation, that the general population has sort of lost. You know, like Sagan would say, you know, the the sedentary life 
where instead of chasing animals, they, you know, we, we put them in a pen or we grow the food instead of foraging for it and all that kind of stuff. That sedentary life has left, left us fat and edgy in a lot of ways, you know, so we just don't have any of those challenges. I like what you said about being indoors, you know, and you think about all the problems with, you know, lung cancer is a, the most prevalent cancer. We live, uh, we lay on styrene carpet, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we're always comfortable. I grew up, we didn't have AC in my house. Mm. So there was a, a thermal stressor, um, and I don't feel that now. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think of that in terms of just physiologic flexibility, right? How many things can you, you know, change, whether that's the amount of fat or carbohydrates in your diet or fasting or temperature or even like that. Like so far in my garage gym, I don't have a fan in the summer. And granted, it does get pretty warm in Minnesota, but not like other places. Um, and part of that is I'm wondering if, Hmm. maybe being more acclimated to heat stress for particular seasons of the year and then more acclimated to cold stress. Maybe that's a benefit over time since I don't have much exposure to those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of other people are, are even more, you know, uh, temperature neutral than I am too. So, mm -hmm. Now, I think one thing um, that, that Lonnie just brought, brought up was, you know, everybody thinks about the fact that we used to chase and kill our own animals, of course, right? And, one of the stark sort of realizations that I had was, you know, Amazon Prime. I we yeah. can literally this thing that used to be a life or death situation, uh, literally can be done with just a button on your from your couch at this point. Um, and I just think that we don't necessarily know the implications of that. Like it's that's pretty stark if you just look at it. And I think that we've only had technology for such a short time. Like our biology certainly has not caught up. We don't we don't know what that looks like as we. I'm going to project it out. I think one thing we know looks like uh, yesterday I was watching an old 70s flick, old Spielberg flick, and I looked at my wife and I said, there was a big crowd scene. I said, no one on that screen is obese, right? <laughs> no one was obese. And now if they showed a similar size crowd, half Ooh. of them would be obese, right? So I think, I think there are these visual things that we just willfully disregard maybe, you know, because clearly something is going wrong. So anyway, yeah, but I think yeah. that's actually how we're wired survivally based, right? We're wired for efficiency. You know, if you can, you know, my buddy, Dr. Ben House has said this too. Like if you can go to McDonald's and get a Big Mac for, I don't even know what they are, $1.39 or whatever, and get six, seven, 800 calories for like the lowest amount of money, that's kind of what we're wired for, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, it makes sense that people are going to move that direction and, we probably cognitively have to do things to stop moving in that direction all the time and to kind of counteract it too. Yeah. So I agree. I agree completely. It's like, that's kind of one of the points I brought up in my book is, you know, it, survival itself used to lend itself to meaning. And so, uh, you know, that's what we were, that's what we were striving for so long. We didn't have survival on lock like we do now. Um, and so it didn't make sense to go out looking for extra work, right? For millions of years, it would make no sense to, to leave and just go pick things up for the hell of it because your life was about trying to survive. But now we're in this sort of weird era where we have to kind of neglect what got us here in order to, um, in order to feel good going forward. I mean, and I think you're right, like obesity, depression rates, I mean, nothing is going down at this point. And so we gotta, I think we gotta like look at, look at why, but then also if you step back, it's kind of cool because now we're at a point where we get to like choose our own evolution going forward. Um, whether it's strength, whether it's endurance, you know, we've never had that luxury for, for millions of years. And so 
I think you're right. You have to like sort of step away from all of the efficiencies that we're wired for. And then entrepreneurship, you know, entrepreneurship is meant to offer the next solution, <laughs> you know, but as consumers, I think you just have to use a little bit of um, tact as you select what you consume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about the race you did. You said it was 247 miles. You said wearing full body armor. I did, yeah. So I just got out of the military, um, and I wanted to sort of do an ode to my service and then also just kind of use the platform to raise money for for something I cared about. And I felt pretty lucky that I'm getting out after, you know, 10 years without pretty much all of my arm, well, definitely all my arms and legs, pretty much my sanity. Uh, and so I just felt like I should give back in some way. There's a lot, I have a lot of friends that weren't so lucky um, and left families behind. And so I just thought about, well, you know, what can I do to... Uh, give back to that. And that was sort of the uh, experience that I landed on. You know, it's like everybody has a wheelhouse. For me, it's like putting it in second gear and suffering is definitely my wheelhouse. And so I knew I could get a lot of attention and, and money for that cause. So that that's what I did. Yeah. You know, Rick, let me ask you this. So we I had a conversation just yesterday. And because of your military background, you mentioned we have a luxury of developing in very specific directions, right? It's it's not like you've got to have us, you know, be 75% capable with aerobic base, with strength, with flexibility, or all these different things. We can actually specialize. And we had a discussion, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, about if you were on a special forces team and dropped in a random part of the world, would you rather be on a team of, you know, jacks of all trades, everybody at that 75% percentile sort of thing as far as the components of fitness or would you rather be on a team of specialists you know you've got the really strong guy you've got the real fleet of foot endurance guy what would be your preference for that it's kind of funny because if you if you're if you dissect all the different special forces groups there are groups that um like i would say army special forces from from what i've seen they're more uh, more focused. They have more focused people on their teams with different jobs. And then in the Navy, we tend to cross train a lot and do everybody's job. Um, and so if you were to ask me, and that's just something that I've noticed just from sort of being in the different communities. But if you were to ask me, I mean, the 75% guy that can do can do all of the things is much more beneficial because, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, picking up and carrying heavy things, but it's moving loads over a long period of time. So one rep, if you have a, you know, one rep max strength, it definitely will help, um, but if you're really focused in that area, I think you could run into problems, especially if you're deployed to Afghanistan where there's mountains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think my bias would be toward having a team of specialists, but of course there's pros and cons, right? The, if you get somebody who's the five rep or less lifter, he might be able to, I don't know, move a boulder or something that needs to be done, you know, but if everybody has to then jog at a, 70% of their ability for the next five miles, you might have to leave him behind, <laughs> you know? Right. So it, it just seems like pros and cons there, you know? But. So one thing that maybe the public too wouldn't even think about, it's like mission dependency. Um, what are we, what are we doing? Like, what is the mission? What are, where are we fighting? Cause that's something a lot of people don't think about, but um, like we do a lot of jumps into the water and then you've got to you know, after you get rid of your parachute, you still got to swim to the boat, which could be up to two miles away in a heavy sea state at night. And so you definitely need some level of aerobic capacity where then, you know, if you're deployed to Afghanistan, there's probably you're just you're in a Humvee and you're going to hit a target. So there's way less of that. that um, makes but sense. you definitely want to be prepared for contingencies as well. Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, 
just to bring this back to the comfort thing, uh, this is completely serendipitous, but I was also talking with a, a buddy today, another professor, uh, sorry, yesterday. Uh, listen to the title of this study. Now, you're going to be like, duh, right? Because we were kind of looking at this, but it, here's this is the title of this study. This is from labroots.com. It was written by a science writer, right? This isn't the actual study. The, the study was in cell metabolism, uh, but uh, Aswini Kanaganti says, uh, if you're willing to be a self-learner and put yourself in new situations, you will develop yourself. And then the title of this is Self-Restraint and Willpower Improves Weight Loss. Uh, so, <laughs> wow, right? Like, now, to be fair, this they were doing different neurological scans, and they were trying to get at the mechanisms of this, right? But the title, Self-Restraint and Willpower Improves you know, Outcomes, it's like, yeah. <laughs> wow, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Phil and I have joked about that in the past, you know, something yeah. like, oh, uh, androgens or anabolic steroids cause muscle growth, you know, and it's like, is is that, do we need that study right now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, can you uh, maybe give you give some thoughts to listeners about, there's sort of a debate, I think, maybe between willpower and not even really needing willpower, maybe, it, because you love what you do, and, you know, you don't have to have tons of discipline because you actually love it uh does that make any sense what are your thoughts on that yeah i think that's actually a really i've, I've kind of gone back and forth and thought about that quite a bit because you know on some level what you're really into sort of pulls you and it doesn't doesn't really require willpower um and so i guess it but it it does take a certain amount of discipline like phil said earlier to do the things you don't want to do and i think that's where you can edge out performance over people that are just sort of following their passion it's like that will get you to a point and hopefully you found that thing uh, that does sort of draw you in and make you want to do the work. But then on some level, it's like there's a lot of accessory work. There's If you're an entrepreneur, there's back-end logistics work that has to be done. All that stuff that isn't the reason you started the business or isn't the reason you're doing the sport, all of that demands discipline in my opinion. Right. No, that makes sense to me. Uh, I, I mean some things – some days you just – you do. You're If you're incredibly tired, you make that hard decision, right? Am I – do I really need a day off here? Am I going to get sick or or is this somehow just, I don't know, a, a general lack of energy and I just need to overcome this and get my ass into the gym? You know, it's, it's one of those decisions I think we all make. Um, what about like, what about solo, running solo versus on a team? Uh, are you a solo kind of guy? I mean, admittedly, I think, not to bias the, the answer, but I've always been like that. Like, I rather, if I'm tired, I'd rather drag myself to the gym if I have to. Usually I'm glad I did. You know what I mean? I, I was never a training partner kind of dude. Um, but what are your thoughts about, you know, running solo versus groups and this whole concept of comfort and fighting the group thing or maybe the, the group helps or? Yeah, I mean, so I, depending on what you mean by group, but like in a lot of these strengths or uh, ultra endurance events, there are, you have a crew. And I rely so heavily on that crew. I think I want to get into some self-supported stuff just because that's going to push me in a, a direction that I'm not – that will be really uncomfortable for me. Uh, but, yeah, I think having a crew, just because the level of discomfort, the, the level of pain, for at least for me, is so high in these things. Like really looking forward to people and having somebody to help take care of your feet and super glue your toe, toenails back on and stuff like that is wow. really, really good. Um, <laughs> 
So I, I'd like to say that I'm so hardcore that I don't rely on a crew, but I really do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think really it, I think what you're saying, I mean, when it comes to like personal injury and stuff like that, right? No man is an island, right? So that right, kind of stuff. Right. Phil, hey, let me ask you: Are you always, <laughs> are you always the paragon saying, "Come on, guys, we're going to do this, do that," or do you lean on your team? You know, is it more reciprocal? Mm, no, I mean, with what we got going on, I'm the one that has to. Uh, I'm pretty much the person that has to be okay, guys. Let's do this. Okay, um, mm-hmm. and I'm also the one that calls it for them. Like you were just talking about, is this just a bad day where they need to, you know, just step it up, or are they not recovered? Mm-hmm. So I'm usually the one that has to make that call as well. Like, no, you're done. Get out of here. You know? Right. Yeah. So um, they kind of lean on me for that. And then, luckily, I've just been doing this long enough. I know in myself now. Like the other week, I went in and squatted. 650 for three and the next week i came in warmed up to 315 i was like i'm done i'm done i just walked out you know as i knew i wasn't ready i knew i wasn't recovered mm-hmm. so i have to be smart enough now myself to call my own right and it was like it was, it was better for me to to just walk out on yeah. that day it's just gonna so, be a non-starter you know yeah, yeah. it was it was gonna be i would end up just if i pushed to where i needed to that day where i was supposed to I'd just be hurt, most likely. Yeah, so, I guess it goes back it. to kind of Rick's point about what is the group. Because if the group are less experienced than you, I'm not sure you can give them the same level of responsibility, right, to make calls like that. Because your personal experience for years, you know, like some of the signs and symptoms. And it can be subtle, right? It's some of those well, intangible. Sure. Well, and then, I mean, also, you know, I'm a big fan of making training hard and making competition day – to make competition day easy. So, like, in the powerlifting world, what that is is, like, when we're taking heavy attempts in training, you're getting yourself ready. You're wrapping your own knees. You're doing this. You're doing that. And then come meet day, then you have your crew. You know, like, when I got my meet coming up, I, I won't have to do anything. Everything will be done for me. You know, I just stand up and let somebody else wrap my knees. And, you know, that doesn't seem like much. But when you have, like, 58 seconds to put on a heavy set of wraps and then walk over and squat 800, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It makes a difference. It makes a difference when somebody else does that for you. Yeah. You know. No, that um, makes sense to me for sure. But. I feel like there's sort of a dichotomy in athletes. There's like the the athlete that you have to, at least from a coach's perspective, there's the athlete you have to always hold back that's going to like always try to max out, always going to do more. Um, but then there's the other athlete that's like, it just seems like they're forcing it every single day. Like that. That was the point I got to when I was dabbling in CrossFit, you know, you get a couple months in, I'm like, I just feel like I'm punishing myself. Like I'm not seeing the reward here. And so, um, you know, I, everybody has something that they're specifically suited for, which is, you know, what you kind of brought up in the beginning. It's like, you got to kind of find that passion that pulls you toward it and then use your discipline for the important stuff. If you're, if you're maxing out your emotional bandwidth every day, just to go to the gym, like maybe you need to find a new sport. You know, that's a good call. I actually record in my training log my motivation to train on a seven scale. And if it's normally six, seven, seven, six, and then all of a sudden it's two, two, three, one, I think maybe I'm overdoing it. Or maybe the stress at work is lowering some threshold, you know. So I I like to quantify stuff like that. I know not everybody's a a numbers guy. Um, But it's a good point because it does – if you're – I like what you're saying. Like maximize your emotional bandwidth just to get your ass in there. Then something like what's causing that, you know, yeah. there's something behind some, that kind of thing. But. Yeah, I have my athletes uh, write it down in red um, or circle it in red in their book if they felt like they were forcing themselves that day. And then mm-hmm. I like it because I can flip back through their weeks and just be like, 
how how much are we forcing here? Right. Yeah. You know, back to the point of experienced uh, guy on the team or a, a coach or a leader. You know, the whole idea. You know, I talk about adaptation and how what we do is based on it. Um, overload, right? The principle of overload is you have to ask the body to do more than it's used to, right? Some novel stimulus. Maybe it's more intensity, more weight on the bar. Maybe it's uh, more duration, you know, longer time in the gym or more frequency, days per week. I mean, but overload, that's risky business, right? That's like dose of a drug. You can overdo that. And I think you need the experienced guy to say, listen, this is the progression model, X percent, you know, increase over the next couple of weeks or or that kind of thing. And I think that's where, you know, like Phil is going to be invaluable to his people because they could over or under stimulate themselves, right, with the novelty of the new stimulus. And then, then they're just going to get hurt or sick or, you know, or burned out. So that, that's got to be touchy business. How do you go about that, Phil? How do you judge that? Is it just – do you have templates or is it, is it more – Yeah, I mean, you can only run in the red for so long, you know, but I think there's times to do it, you know. <laughs> And you know, like nowadays, you know, here recently, like the squat every day has been very cliche and, mm-hmm. and popular and things like that. And I think stints of that stuff is great. Stints of, you know, we're really going to push the hell out of this for a short amount of time. Um, and we can do that and find great overcompensation out of that. It's the people that take that to a, a new level. Like, OK, I'm going to squat every day for four years. And then they wonder why their hips and knees hurt right? Um, yeah. when they're doing it heavy. So, I mean, I've just found, you know, what I've found is basically we can push something like that for about six weeks. It's usually about two weeks after you're like, man, this sucks. <laughs> when the right. athletes start saying, I just don't want to squat. Yep. You've got about two more weeks, and then you better lay off. Um, so, and then, then we really back off of whatever we were doing and push something else. Yep. You know? Yeah. So. Periodization, right? That's why it's a yeah. thing, I think. I, I actually, yeah. that's my same bias, about six weeks. I remember I went to a... Uh, talk in the 90s. It was uh, one of the early uh, strength conditioning talks. It was over in Finland. And Phil, you and I have talked about this in the past, but um, like Hakkinen and some of those, you know, senior level strength conditioning guys over there. And there was a very interesting presentation. They were talking about six weeks to peak strength. That was kind of the idea. And he was showing all this physiologic data, like, you know, the whole Hans Selye general adaptation syndrome. You start breaking down. If you keep, if you do some extended, like you're going to do a peaking cycle for 20 weeks, That's rough, bro, you know, kind of thing, at least neurologically. But, yeah, Uh, Rick, how do you go about that? Like, what's your sweet spot? Uh, How novel, how intense and for how long? Well, you know, actually, so I was going to I was actually wanted to kind of pick y'all's brain on this, because for me, what I've I think I've come to the point where I've realized in order for me to be able to train intuitively, I had to sort of bash up against that limit for a long Mm. time. And so, you know, there's. It's sort of interesting when you talk about groups and having a coach and someone that knows for you, um, obviously beneficial and highly recommended. But then at the same time, I think there's a certain degree of just sort of ramming up against that neural governor, figuring out what you are capable of, what volume does to you. And then you can sort of, at least for me, now I know the signs and symptoms of, okay, I'm, I've been in the red too long. I'm, I'm going to get sick if I don't dial back. And so for me, unfortunately, I don't know that there's a good answer other than having made a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's something we've talked about a lot. I mean, there's no, you know, I know Lonnie has and I have too. We've done a lot of dumb things and learned from it. And I'm not sure there's a way around that. 
as far as learning goes. You mean like early career, like stupidity? Yeah. yeah. Like early. <laughs> I mean, when we used to be, first began lifting, you'd just go in and kill it oh, every man. day. You know, yeah. Six days a week, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Agreed. I don't know. I don't know if you can. I'm not sure you can get to the same spot without going through that at some point. Now, the only way I the only way I change that with my people is I just don't start them off there. You know, we don't go from off the street to red line. You know, oh, oh let's yeah. ease in for two months and then let's start. Okay, let's see what you can do and see what you can handle. And it's very you know. And then we dose it up and then yeah, you have to figure out the individual. Like every one of my athletes, even in the same sport, let's take just my power lifters. I have lifters that excel on high volume. And I have other lifters that excel on low volume and, and uh, high intensity. Yeah. So, yeah. and we can't figure that out without pushing them in those areas. So that's sort of to um, to Rick's point about you got to have some kind of a base. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yes. Yeah. Like take take eight weeks for God's sake. I mean, you got someone who's just a marshmallow. Build some aerobic base. Build some kind of base strength because otherwise, yeah. What are you going to redline? You're going to break the machine. You're going to mm-hmm. blow a fan belt or something every time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Like I mean, the sport that Rick's doing now, you know, that's my wife did ran ultras. So, and you know, we have a guy around here that came up and talked to her, and he's like, "Yeah, I can run, I can run twenty five miles really fast." So I figured I'll just enter this hundred and I'll be fine. And she's <laughs> like, "Oh, it's not how it works. You know? Right? <laughs> it's not how it works." Yeah. And he's tried it five times and failed miserably. But uh, you know, you gotta, you have to be smart about it too. So right. Yeah. Well, I think if you're, you know. If you're pushing it and you're redlining and you're not learning from it, well, you're just being dumb. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like you kind of hopefully over the period of seeing what you're capable of and sort of pushing the volume and and then realizing, okay, I've got to earn this volume or I'm going to hurt myself. Like hopefully you're learning these lessons along the way. And then I, I think the same thing applies to diet. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of do, of all the fad diets, but the fact that I've tried so many, I have figured out, you know, intuitively how to eat for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to like go through that, like shedding the extremes and realizing like, okay, this isn't going to work. And yeah. maybe some people are better at learning just by reading and by being told, but I'm certainly not one of them. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think, I mean, I always have a biological bias, you know, cause I, I always tell students everything, you, you know, you're going to wrestle with these things in nutrition, biopsychosocial, but biology is always my, I mean, I'm a physiologist for Christ's sake. Right. So I always think along your lines is you learn a lot in yourself. Uh, as far as like nutrigenetics, how you respond to certain diets, like maybe keto is just really not for you, you know, uh, for biological reasons, for genetic reasons. And there's performance genetics, too. Like Phil was saying, some people can handle the volume and grow like weeds and some people that will just destroy. So and yet by learning it in yourself, you could recognize when other people are similar or different from your from you. You know, that there is a there are truths like training principles like overload or specificity. But then. There's individual differences that are undeniable as well, you know. So I, I also like what you said about you have to – like there's this introspection. If you don't learn from it, I, I, I'm, I feel like I need to often remind people and myself to go actually analyze my training log, right? Because if not, I, I really fall into a habit of just writing down everything I do, but I'm not actually learning from it because I'm not going back over the past several months looking for those – red circles that you were talking about, Rick, you know, or the, my Likert numbers or that kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. trying to piece together what destroyed me there. Why did I have such low motivation? You know, or why, why, why was my sleep so off? Uh, and so sometimes you almost have to make yourself do that, I think. So you can actually learn from these, you know, 
uh, nadirs or peaks or red lines or whatever. But yeah, I try to force it quarterly, just like as I try to run myself as if I were a business, and that's like yeah. I try to do like quarterly reviews and look for trends and you know just figure out like what am I not, what am I missing right now? Especially if I'm if I'm finding that I'm hurt, it's like okay, there's something going on here. Something's telling me something that I'm not picking up on. I, I like that. I think biologically, quarterly is really quite good. You know, it's mm-hmm. like. Um, was it Jim, uh, Phil, Jim Wendler? He'll talk about yeah. doing stuff for, you know, like in half a year blocks or something. Like people want to check yeah. their body weight every week or something. It's like, okay, how about every three or four months before you even take a, a preliminary, you know, spot check, you yeah. know, kind of thing? Because you can't expect some of these changes in no. ways the general public wants, you know. Yeah. So. And, and then you're going to mix up causation and correlation for sure. Oh, yeah. You're looking every week, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, as we wind down, let me ask you this then, put you on the spot a little, Rick. Um, what are two tips? So from what you've written or what you've observed yourself uh, on teams or, or your own body, what are two tips you might give to listeners as far as beware, comfort, put yourself in novel situations, anything that you've, you know, you'd really like to share? Okay. Yeah, so I think the first one, um, I've spent obviously a lot of time like sort of figuring out how to make these um, or this idea approachable and and applicable to somebody's life. So one of the things I think we talked about, uh, you talked about the principle of overload. I think if you look at your life and then you look at fitness, like I don't, there's a lot of things you can learn from fitness that you can apply to your life. And one of them is you can push for a certain period of time, but there needs to be a period of adaptation, a deload period, a period where you um, are sort of learning from all of the work that you just did. And so I think when you look at even intellectual endeavors, it's like anybody, I, I figured this out writing my book, you can't just push, push, push forever. There's a certain period where you're not, you need to like take a step back, adapt to what you just did, adapt to the volume. Um, and maybe you're not adapting in the exact same way, but it's a really good way of looking at it. So it's like stress plus stress plus deload equals um, like a gain in whatever you're looking for instead of just trying to add volume thinking that will produce results in the same manner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd say look, you know, look two ways you can do that in your life. Like I like to work in sprints where I add more and more and then I really step back for a week and unplug and get away from the inputs. Um, and so that's one. And then the other one is a little interesting. If you look at how flow states happen, everybody talks about flow states these days or it's sort of in vogue, but essentially a flow state happens when you're rooted in what you understand and you're simultaneously exploring that which yet you do not understand. And so I think trying to apply that to your life is a good way to push into new frontiers. It's like you don't want to just, you know, like uh, Phil said, like I can run 25 miles, so now I'm going to do 100. It's like, no, because now you just stepped way into chaos. You don't understand anything here. You're, you're way, you went way too far. And so I think trying to stay rooted in what you understand while simultaneously exploring something new that's a little bit further away, that's how you level up. That's how you stay uncomfortable but keep it attainable. And so you have to be careful not to set your goals so small that they don't force any adaptation or any growth, but then you don't want to set them so big that you find yourself in chaos, run a hundred five times unsuccessfully. And it's like, well, what did you get out of that? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, I would say those two things have been really key to understanding myself and how I grow. And then also when it comes, like I didn't just get to a 247 mile run in body armor. There were 15 ultras that started at 50 K that came before that. So it seems like a really like sort of extreme thing, but there wasn't even a doubt in my mind I would get through it because of all of the work I had done leading up into that point. And so, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. It's very logical. Start from a base of what you're good at and what you know, and then reach into the unknown instead of just (laughs) stumbling into the unknown and being shot down, (laughs) you know? Yeah, Yeah, the the analogy I heard at one point was like when you're in a dark room in your house and the next – or you're in a lit up room in your house at night, the next room is dark. Nobody just walks straight into the dark room. You reach in with your hand. You flick the light on. You understand it, and then you step in. Nobody would just walk into a dark room like a psychopath. That's what I say to you, like, with your regular life. Makes yeah. sense. Okay. Um, let's finish up with how can listeners find out more about you? Um, sure. So uh, Instagram is where I'm the most active, at Rick Alexander underscore. And then I guess if they're interested in the, these ideas and the things, you can go to burnyourcouch.com, and it'll send you to a link to buy the book. Wow. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I wanted to say uh, throughout my entire journey with Strength Sports, I really binge listened to Iron Radio. So it was kind of an honor to come on here and talk to you guys. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Been through them all. <laughs> all right, everyone. We're going to let you go until next week. So we'll talk to you then. All right, have a good one. Thanks, guys. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists... The bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. 
also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.